Thank you, Pastor John. And um, so good to see all of you. And if you're um, newer to Crossway, we just want to welcome you. And um, really, we want this, we want you to feel like you're at home. Welcome home, you know. Um, and there's something comforting about being home, isn't it? And uh, God is, um, we're in the Father's house together. And somehow today, God wanted you here in your home. And uh, it's nice to worship in this way. Um, and uh, just grateful for um, all of our teenagers and um, soon-to-be teenagers and the parents and Tony, Felice, and obviously Sergio for loving them and uh, caring for them. Maybe we could give Sergio and um, Tony and Felice a big, big hand. All right, good job. Thank you guys for taking care of our youth students. Thank you. And don't just, moms and dads, don't just give him a hand, but, you know, go buy him something or, you know, take him out. All right, please. All right? Yes. All right? <laughs> Amen to that. Um, uh, you know, we get to this uh, story, and uh, if you've been in church, you, you've heard the story, and you're already, some of us, it's like, oh, yeah, I know it, I know it. Um, and some of us, it's like, oh, it's, it's really, um, it, it doesn't apply to me. You know, whenever it comes to stuff with money and greed, we all know someone that has more than us, that's greedier than us. Um, and so we always go, oh, yeah, it's about him. Oh, it's about my that one uncle that I have who never hosts for Thanksgiving. You know, and his house is the biggest, and he should do it. Um, but he just comes over and eats all the food. You know, we, we all know or someone at work that um, is far better off. And you say, oh, yeah, I know who that is. And maybe even someone at school, right? Um, and we, we know the story about coveting and greed and why that is so bad. Um, but today, I really want to dig in and really explain how it affects us, um, how it really works against us and harms us. Um, it's not the abundance of things, but it's a desire to have them. Um, you know, I got a call a few years back from a man I didn't know. Um, somehow he found my number, um, and he called me, and he was calling me from out of state. And he called me because he had two sons, adult sons, and uh, two adult sons um, had pitched in and bought a house together. And he called me and he says, can you help me um, kind of be, you know, to, to mediate between them? And I, I didn't know them. They didn't go to our church or I didn't know who they were. And, uh, but he says, you know, I'm from out of state. They live in Orange County. I need your help. And he called me. And he says, you know, they, they bought a house together. And then one of them ended up wanting to get married, wanted to sell. The other one said no. And they got in disagreement over the house. And it got to the point that the two brothers were now, um, they both hired lawyers and they were suing each other over the house, what was going to happen to that house, to the point they weren't going to listen to their dad anymore. So this dad calls me and he says, can you help my sons? Can you uh, be uh, a mediator between them? And, you know, he was pleading for help. He, I mean, this is really a desperate situation, calling someone in a different state. He doesn't know some pastor. Maybe he could help. And you think about this. How does this get to this? And the story that Jesus tells us, you know, the background of it is a man that comes up to Christ and says, um, can you, you know, tell my brother to share the inheritance? This is a very difficult and sad time, but he tells him, can you do this? Mom and dad, mom or dad had just died, had left the inheritance. And he's fighting with his brother over the stuff. And this is, it, it, it happened back then, it's still happening now where money affects people. Money makes people, it breaks up marriages, it breaks up friendships, it makes brothers turn against another brother. Uh, it, it makes, literally makes people kill each other over this. And you say, how does that happen? 
How do these people, how do siblings fight over this? Um, and it's, it's this thing called greed or covetousness. The, so he comes up to Jesus and he says this, and this is before a crowd and Jesus tells a story. The master storyteller tells a story about a man who had a great harvest one day and he had all these crops and he stores it and he doesn't know what to do and he's storing it, he's building bigger barns and, and everyone, the crowd is listening. What kind of story is this? And really, this is the kind of story we see often on, on reality, quote-unquote, reality TV shows. You know, the bigger the house and this kind of million-dollar houses and renovate this and it's nicer and better and we like, to, we like that. And he's telling a story in that way and it's listening in and listening in and at the end, he says, what are you going to do when God shows up one night? What's going to happen with all your stuff when God shows up one night? And he talks now about the pitfalls about the dangers of covetousness. And he tells us here, today as we have our youth students as well, I was, I was reading an article and it was talking about uh, uh, marketing on Instagram, right? So anyone that has an X amount of followers gets paid to now wear a product. Oh, I love my jeans I got at Target. You know, like, um, and, you know, or whatever it is, and we would um, market it, but they said, if you have 100,000 followers, you can get up to 700 to $900 per post if you say, oh, you know, I love my G-Shock Casio watch. You know, then you would get paid that. If you had um, 500,000 followers, you would get up to $2,000 to put something out there. And then if you had a million or more followers, you would get up to $50,000 a post to go and advertise. So I share this with you because this is bombarding you and us all the time. You need to have more. You need to have this. Look at my life is better because I have this. And you are always in want going, gosh, I don't have that. I wish I had that. I, wow, look what he's driving. Gosh, I wish I had that. Look what they're eating. I wish I could eat that. Look what she's wearing. Oh, if I could only have those shoes, whatever it is. And we are bombarded by this message. And Jesus tells us, verse 15, and he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I want us to read that out loud in one voice together, all right? Let's start with take care. One, two, three. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Can we believe that? One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. The richer person does not have a better life than the poorer person. The one who owns more things and lives in this kind of house does not have a better life than the one who doesn't. One's life does not consist, especially he's now t telling this kingdom principle to the crowds. Because the world is saying, of course it consists of the amount of things that you have. And Jesus says, let me teach you a different way to live the real way to live, that there is a God and you have to consider God. Life does not consist with the abundance of your possessions. And he tells this story here. Um, the story goes in this way. Um, and in this story, we learn about what covetousness does to us. And let me just back up for a moment. He says to um, take heed and be on your guard in that verse. Take heed, be on your guard. Take heed means to be alert, um, be sober-minded, right? Think clearly about this. Like, really understand and think clearly about the second part is be on your guard. Be on your guard was a military term. It would be used to describe soldiers who are on the night watch. Be on the guard against the enemy. 
And if you've ever watched any kind of a war movie or whatever it is, you know the guards, they say, okay, you have the night watch, watch out for the enemy that's coming. And he says, be on your guard. What is that assuming? That greed and covetousness is trying to sneak its way into your life. It's trying to affect you in different little ways, little subtle ways. Greed and covetousness doesn't come like a monster in the night as I'm here. Uh, the enemy doesn't announce himself at night, uh, but he sneaks in. Starts to get into the walls of the city or the walls of our hearts. Says, hey, you, boy, if you had that, boy, do you see what she's driving today? Do you, did you see what, man, well, do you know what his income is like? And you start looking at that and it starts creeping into your heart. And it happens, it happens from the moment we could talk. And the thing that parents always have to teach little ones, right? Yeah, youth guys, you remember, share, share, don't fight, share, share, don't fight, because it's mine, it's mine. And it starts the moment we could talk, it's mine, and then it just keeps on growing. We call it collections, we call it hobbies, but we have to be very careful of this, and it affects us, and it sneaks up on us. And so what does it do? What does covetousness do to us? What are the negative effects? First of all, it puffs us up. The more we have, uh, and, and the more we gather, we can easily think, I've done much to obtain all this. I deserve this. Verse 16, he starts the story this way. He told them the parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now let's pause here for a moment. For a farmer, the farmer is 100%. His success is dependent on Circumstances that are outside of his power. So the farmer has no control. If he gets land and the soil is fertile, praise the Lord. If it's bad dirt, he can't do anything about it. Now the farmer is completely dependent on rain. It has to rain. It has to rain at the right time. It has to rain not too much because it will mess things up and not too little. And we want it at this time of the year. And you're hoping and praying to the gods that the rains will come. And you're praying also for the weather. If it's too cold, it'll, it'll affect the crop. And if it's too hot, the crop will wither. So it has to be perfect weather with perfect amount of rain and good dirt. And then it is now given to me. Now here, he reminds us, it wasn't the farmer who produced this. The land produced plentifully. The land produced plentifully. He's saying, it wasn't you. Now, all of us here, whatever you have, whatever you own, whatever you are proud of, your, your looks, your intelligence, and your money, and your house, or you know the, the toys that you have, whatever it is, someone gave that to you. Someone allowed you to have that. It wasn't because I was so good, and I was so smart, and I, it is easy to start thinking this way as we amass more things as we try to keep score by the things that we possess. Because you see, look, I got more than my, my buddies. I have more than them. I must be somewhat better. And people are like, yeah, you're better, man. It's because you're this and you're that. Ultimately, you were given all these things. Um, and so that's very important that we understand this. Secondly, covetousness gives us kind of a tunnel vision. We start losing sight about all the things that are important. And we have this tunnel vision. Uh, look at verse 17 and 18 for a moment, would you? Um, and just look at the, those two verses and look at how many times he uses the word I, my, um, himself. And just look at that real quick. 
he said, thought to himself. He's constantly speaking to himself. He's constantly talking to himself. What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. He doesn't speak to God. He doesn't even speak to others. He just speaks to himself. The more this person amasses, he says, I can't trust anyone else. I must be the smartest one because I have the most. And he ends up talking to himself. You know, maybe God has blessed you with things. And he ought to be the one we go to God. You, give me, you gave me a wonderful year. This year, I've made the most money I've ever made in my whole life. God, you gave me all these things. God, you gave me a wonderful job. God, you gave me, boy, you gave me this, this client and it's been wonderful. What should I do with this? And that should be the question. But here he speaks to himself. Hey, self, what should I do? I don't know. Hey, that's a lot. What should I do? I don't know. And he speaks to himself in this way. Um, Eugene Peterson, in his uh, biography, talks a little bit, uh, tells a story about a uh, janitor he meets. And while he was in seminary, he meets a janitor, the janitor of his um, church, this German immigrant named Willie Osa. And Willie Osa um, would just clean the church, do his business, didn't attend the service, he would just clean at night and leave. And so uh, Eugene Peterson gets interested in him and befriends him takes him out for a cup of coffee and starts hearing his story. And he came and he has this bitterness towards religion and organized religion and the negative effects of it. But he befriends him and so he appreciates Eugene Peterson's uh, approach. And so he says, uh, and, and Eugene Peterson finds out that this janitor is actually a, a struggling artist, an artist by day and he works as a janitor at night to make ends meet. So he says, well, he finds that and he says, wow, that's great. Um, and the janitor says, let me do a portrait of you. And he says, sure, I'll come. And he says, come once a week for an hour, sit, and I'll let me, you know, for a handful of weeks, and let me draw a portrait of you. And he does. And he goes, but the only thing is, I, you can't see it till I'm completely done with the portrait. So he goes, and he sits, and every once a week, he'll draw him and then cover up the painting, and he tells him to go, and then he'll come back again the next week and the next week. And then the last day, he says, all right, I'm finally done. And he, he unveils it. And before Eugene Peterson could come and see it, uh, this janitor's wife comes in, and she sees it, and she screams in German. And he says he didn't have to understand German to understand what she was saying. He was saying it was horrible, right? This is horrible. He goes, this looks nothing like him. And so now, now he's curious. And this young seminary student now comes over and he looks at this painting and the painting looks nothing like some. It's actually hideous. It looks like a corpse of a dead man's face. And he says, uh, you know, you're a bad artist, man, you know. <laughs> no, he doesn't say that, but he's, and he says, let me explain. Because I drew this of you. He says, this is my portrayal of what you will become if you let compassion and love of others leave your life. And he, he was saying, you know, you as a pastor, you're going to be giving yourself to other people. And if you run out, you're going to end up looking like this. And Peterson talks about how he had um, kept that portrait in his study to remind himself that it's not about my own strength and my own power, but it's about having this love and compassion in my life. So it gives us tunnel vision. We lose focus on God and on others. Thirdly, covetousness gives us a sense of false security. We think, the more I have, my life is going to be fine. Now, that is true 
That is true. You need to save and you need money for retirement. All that is true. But that is not the ultimate security. That's not the ultimate end of our lives. And Jesus is talking about this kingdom that is to come, and he's reminding the audience, don't just live for your earthly life here. Live for the life that is to come. And he says here, right, the guy is still speaking to himself in the story, verse 19, I say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He's now speaking to his soul. He has an assumption that the, uh, the mass, um, the, the amount of material goods somehow makes him now spiritually okay. That because I'm successful in this world, and he's speaking to his own soul now. And he says, boy, life is good. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But we have to understand that our spiritual lives matter. Now, moms and dads, some of you are maybe, you know, very, you know, on your kids about studies and straight A's, and maybe some of you are more relaxed or whatever it is. Those are all important things. But what is more important is that they grow up not just to be a smart person that doesn't know the Lord, but they know the Lord. That they understand who God is and they live in this way. We have to take care of our spiritual lives. Um, and what does Jesus say? Uh, man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Um, so we cannot just live on the physical, he's saying. Uh, the Christian life is not just about having my physical things. And this is where the prosperity gospel gets it all wrong. It's about the here and now. Uh, the hundredfold and the quick healing and the formula for success here on earth. But really what Jesus is saying, it's not just about your short life here, but it's about preparing yourself for an eternity with God. And fourthly, covetousness gives us a false sense of uh, permanence or importance. You know, it's only the really rich people that talk about words like legacy and they're going to leave something behind. Um, here, when we amass much, we worry about what am I going to do with all my stuff? Like, who's going to get my stuff? In verse 20, God said to him, fool, and this is where God comes in, because we may not talk to God, but one day God is going to speak to us and he calls him a fool. The word fool here is someone who is out of touch with reality, one commentator says, out of touch with reality. You think this was it. You thought this was all that mattered, you fool. This is not everything. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You're gonna have to give it away. Doesn't that drive you crazy? All the stuff, I don't know if you guys ever collect anything. You know, the only thing I collect, you know, are my, like, golf clubs. And uh, with my friends that I golf with, we joke around, say, hey, when you die, I'm going to take your driver. You know, like, and, uh, you better not take it. You know, you better put it in the casket. Um, you know, like, I'm taking it with me, like, you know, and we, we joke about that. But whatever it is, right, whatever you're, you're passionate about, you have to give it away. This past week, I was flipping through, and I saw that, um, Million dollar, some reality, million dollar sales, million dollar. How, listing, listing. All right, someone knew. All right, good. It's not just me. All right, so million dollar listing, right? They sell, and they're like five million dollar houses in Beverly Hills and so on, and um, supposedly reality TV. But I was, there's one show, and I caught the end of it, where uh, the people who were listing the house had a, a, a nice lot of land in this old house. And they said, they said, we want to sell our house, but the only thing, 
for us to sell this house. The only requirement is that the buyer has to live in this house as is. They can't change it because this is so meaningful to our family, blah, 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 blah. And everyone that started coming by to see this house would say, oh, yeah, we need to demolish and we need to redo. This house is ugly. It's old. It's dated. Yeah, I can't, we'll just tear it down and we'll, and we'll pay more and don't worry, we'll build a new house. And Nope, we're not going to sell. We're not going to sell. And they ultimately sell to someone that says, okay, we'll live in it as is, but we're going to pay less, a lot less than your asking price, and they agree to it. Those people aren't going to live in that house the way, you know, it's not going to do that, right? They're going to paint it. They're going to change it. And you think about it. We think, boy, my stuff is so important. Boy, my things are so important. What if someone touches this and messes this up? I want this to last. And he says here, he tells us the obvious. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? The stuff doesn't last. So we have to fight against covetousness. Junior hires, you have to fight against this. Because your friends are going to tell you, you need these shoes, man. The Steph Curry shoes are the best. You know, you can't play basketball not wearing those types of shoes. And you should get these things and you should get those things. And then it just keeps growing as we get older. And we have to guard ourselves against this. He tells us at the end, right, in verse 21. um, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He tells us to be rich towards God. Um, What does being rich towards God mean? God who has everything. What does being rich towards God mean, right? Um, It's interesting. In the previous chapter, um, Jesus encounters the Pharisees. And these are the religious people that do all the, try to do all the right things, but for the wrong reason. They go to church and they do all these things for the wrong reason. And he says here in chapter 11, 42, and you can flip your Bibles, or chapter 11, 42, woe to you Pharisees. He's talking about tithing, right? Here he talks, Jesus talks about tithing, that it's okay, it should be tithing. He says, woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. It's interesting, even the the mint leaves and even herbs and root, they would say, okay, I got to give 10% to God. And they were very legalistic about this. Jesus doesn't say, get rid of the tithe, but he says, what you have to do is you got to learn justice and a love for God. These, verse 42, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What happened to these Pharisees in the midst of all this? It was just tunnel vision. They forgot justice. They forgot the people they should help. And they forgot the love of God. All it became was about me and my stuff again. And so how do we come, how do we become rich towards God? How do we, the Bible's explanation of being rich is someone who not just masses, amasses a bunch of things for himself. It's someone who now gives a bunch and is generous towards others. It's someone who considers God and considers the justice, those who have less, those who are struggling. And how can I give in this way? Practical ways is, is you know, when we think about money, we, we get very sensitive about it. And you say, ask, ask yourself, why am I so sensitive about it? Someone asks you, how much money do you make? You say, oh my gosh, that's so personal. That's more personal. You know, we don't want to divulge any kind of numbers. Like, how old am I? Why do you want to know how old I am? Or, you know, how much do I weigh? That's, you know, none of your business, you know. And 
how much money? I'm like, oh my gosh, you're asking me that, you know? Tax returns, you know? And um, we, we've seen enough of that. Because we, we take that to be so, sometimes it's so, so important for us, and we have to fight that in our generosity. And I think we have to get in the midst of those who often have less, you know, Tuesday night, we were, I was at the soup kitchen with some of our uh, Irvine uh, brothers or sisters as well, and um, being able to just serve, seeing people who are grateful for drinking, and you know, this is, like, I, I'm, I'm like a semi-coffee snob, Folgers, get that Folgers out of my, and there's no way I'm gonna drink Folgers, you know, like, I can't drink, you know, like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. And we, we even talked at our, one of our staff meetings like at Brea, we gotta stop serving Folgers, like that's you know, really bad. And you know, we gotta up our coffee game because every church is cool about coffee. And then, you know, but I, we're at the same we're giving out Folgers. And I'm like, oh, thank you, it was so good. Um, and then we gotta fight against this. Check yourself every time you say, I wanna get this and I need to have this. What is that like? Uh, and I close with this little um, story, little quotes here. In the end of the second century, there was a man named Diognetus. Diognetus wrote um, uh, what was called a letter of Diognetus. It was a letter that he wrote um, to his atheist friends. And Diognetus wanted to find out wh- who these Christians were. And so he goes and basically interviews Christians, and he gets to stay and live with them for a while. And he comes to some conclusions. And uh, so he writes these letters and he sends it to his uh, atheist friends who don't know what these Christians are all about. And this is how he describes them. And he himself wasn't a Christian when he wrote this. This is how he describes them. They share a common table, but not a common bed. Um, It means they're holy unto themselves. They don't share a bed with anyone. But they share their table, but they're generous with what they have. Not only that, he he explains more, and at the end he says, they are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things, yet abound in in them all. And I love that last part. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are generous, and they uh, improve other people's lives. And you might say, gosh, it's tough. I don't have enough, and this and that. And you know what? This... Covetousness affects us all. Greed affects us all. And we have to guard ourselves against this. And we have to be very careful of this starting at whatever age. As we are, Christmas is coming up and there are the things that they're going to say you need. And you're in sixth grade and you need to have these things. And you think everyone's going to have it. And if you, ha- you have to say, why, why am I wanting this so much? And we have to learn to deny ourselves of some of this. And say, ultimately... We have to go back to the cross and say, I have everything I need in Jesus Christ. God gives me everything I need for the rest of my eternal life. That's all I need ultimately. And I thank God for everything else, but I put my focus on him. The treasure, the pearl of great price, I put my focus on him. Let's guard our hearts right now and let's fight against the enemy that comes towards us and says, you need more, you deserve more. What are you gonna do and tell him all I need is him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us all that we need ultimately in Jesus Christ. And we thank you um, for all the things you bless us with materially. It is all from you ultimately. Um, So God, we, 
take hold of that just out of gratitude. It's all from you and for you, so help us, teach us that. And God, the next time, Lord God, we catch ourselves talking to ourselves and telling ourselves, I need more of this, or my life is good because I have this, God, uh, would you remind us that our life is ultimately in you, Jesus Christ. Um, so Lord, today we take that to heart. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.